Welcome, baseball fans. It is time once again for the Running the Bases podcast. I'm Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, good to see you again. It's been like two months. Yeah, it has. Life's been busy around here. What have you been up to? Oh, watching the grandkids play ball. Yeah, you got two grandkids, and they're both like raking it right now. Yeah, they are. They're both doing very well. Yeah, who uh, what, uh, did give and a shit? That's sh- all my sons. He's put a lot of time into him. I'm glad for him. Yeah, Coach, Coach Justin Bounds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're at the uh, quarter pole of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, we're going to do uh, a cool thing today. I was excited for this idea, and I'm excited to uh, to trade uh, <laughs> rankings here. But we're going to do the best of the decade. One position player and one pitcher from each decade going back to 1900. Um, and we shall debate these things. Uh, I don't think there'll be much debate. I think there will be. Okay. I think I'm going to surprise you on this one. All right. Okay. I know you usually own the history category, but I've done some research, found some gems. I'm ready for this one. See, I don't. I haven't found any gems, uh, so to speak. They all seem to be, you know, okay, Babe yeah. Ruth. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Sandy Koufax. Sure. Yeah. There's There are plenty of those, but, okay. but I am excited for it. Uh, but speaking of excitement, uh, out of the box, let's just talk about baseball at the quarter pole. And let's start with the Atlanta Braves. Most exciting team in baseball right now. Right? I mean, like, not just locally. They are a national story again. They don't strike out. They do not strike out. They're going to have a lot of potential uh, offensive hardware at the end of the year. Well, we'll see. We're at the quarter point. Uh, Sure. uh, But they are exciting to watch, and uh, they seem to be at least a year ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean— Truly, in the in the hardware uh, department, Freddie Freeman hitting like an MVP. Nick Markakis, your, your National League <laughs> batting champion. Uh, Albies could be an MVP candidate. Uh, what do you think of Albies' power surge? Uh, I he reminds me a lot, uh, left-handed of a Robinson Cano, uh, in the way he swings the bat. But uh, he's just he's incredibly exciting to watch yeah yeah and and I, I, I heard somebody say reminded him of uh rafael for call with pop uh <laughs> i think i heard derosa say that or somebody but uh he is uh just terribly exciting yeah and you know I, I can't tell you how much it warmed the heart that they took the gamble on jose bautista to have the greatest nickname in baseball currently on our hometown team. But I'll tell you what, uh, if the pitcher, I mean, the third baseman, what's his name? In uh, in Austin uh, Riley? Yeah, Austin Riley. Pro- the prospect yeah. three-bagger? Yeah, Austin Riley has you know three home runs the other day right after they bring him up. He, he may not be that. He may be up for the season's out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said this to me uh, about a week ago. You're no longer okay with losses, like they they're, we're they're they are bringing up the kids, so it is time oh. to win. Oh yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, so by all accounts, Austin Riley will will be here at a significant point in the season. They look very similar to me, the to what the Twins did a couple of years ago when they were ahead of schedule and they made the playoffs. You know, squeaked in. Now they reversed. For a year, you know, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. They're just uh, and the twins are have been a very exciting team to watch as well. So uh, I see a lot of similarities between them. Yeah, um, 
you know, in the East, the Mets looked like they had it figured out, and now they're back to being the train wreck Mets. But they got rid of uh, Matt Harvey. Long time overdue with that? No, but I think it is the only thing that could have saved Harvey's career. Yeah. Not only does he do they get him out of New York, he goes to Cincinnati. There are no all-night clubs in Cincinnati. <laughs> there, you know, there are no supermodels running around. There's an uh, Applebee's with half-price apps till midnight. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so this whole persona that the Mets put on him about the dark night, you know, which he obviously seemed to believe, uh, you know, I, I hope they haven't done this to uh, Thor, uh, because uh, realistically, you know, we we have how many uh, how many innings has he thrown as a major leaguer now? You know, for two and a half years. You know, oh, on Thor, you yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, by all accounts, Thor has a dedicated. Uh, he's a committed, yes. oh, yeah. committed man to his girlfriend, who's very lovely. So. So oh, well, I'm not talking about the philandering or the in the nightlife or anything. I'm just, you know, here's a guy who throws, who wants to throw 105 in the off season, you know, and he can get better, you know. Yeah, easy, conserve, <laughs> yeah. save that. Um, We'd like one of you to do it on the field for a while. Right, right. Um, but yeah, the East is really. I mean, here, I mean, don't look now. Here come the Nationals as well. But. Oh, sure, the National, and I, I still believe that they're going to end up winning the division before it's all over unless this calamity of injuries they've had continues you know uh mad max and harper and you know all these people go down then maybe they won't yeah uh, the uh i think the phillies are terribly exciting i yeah. right now uh if i mean take away the phillies playing the braves and the phillies are the best team in baseball yeah, uh, that's true. So uh, <laughs> crazy yeah, to think about, but yeah, uh, I, I think uh, it's the Braves and the Phillies might really be in the hunt for that second wild card. Yeah, so they could very well be. That's well, well, I mean, to that point, uh, let's look at some other stories here. The the Dodgers, not, oh, they're not going to be in anything at this point. Uh, Wheels certainly seem to have come off. Yeah, and in a hurry. And Kershaw's on the DL again. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you you see nationally more conversation about him opting out after this season. How much more likely is it to you that Kershaw opts out, given how this Dodgers team doesn't seem like they can recover from all this? Uh, the rest of that division is too good. The Dodgers, I, I, I don't think they're going to recover this year. Uh, Seeger out and everything else. I mean, I, yeah. I know uh, the wheels appear to have come off for this year, but they have the resources. They're going to be there next year as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't. Uh, that's not a re Kershaw is not going to leave because he's going to think the Dodgers can't do it. You know. Uh, now, uh, true. The, I mean, if there is some sort of strong pull for him to go home, that's uh, you know the only thing. I, I can where I can see that happening. Yeah, and sometimes you can have. The, there have been uh, who was AJ Burnett uh, went somewhere, took a whole lot less money because his wife wanted to live there. Uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those it, years with the Pirates, right. for sure. So you know th those things happen. Uh, 
and uh, Kershaw still lives in Texas during the off season, but you know he's got yep. enough money to go back and forth. You know, it's <laughs> on a, a private jet that has a private jet <laughs> flying the private jet. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're you're right. The situation of winning, I think, is what compels him the most and you know he's going to go to texas where what do you make of texas at this point you know? i think that uh hamels will be one of the most pursued after pitchers uh and <laughs> yeah. uh, at the trade deadline and exactly I think, uh you know so they are some ways away yeah so um but looking across the interstate uh the angels and the otani show has it lived up to the hype is that safe to say Yes, I think it has. I think it has as well. It, it has lived up to the so. hype. I don't know how he's not playing consistently enough to be. I mean, the Angels are playing very well and getting good pitching, but uh, Sosha has already hinted that he wants somebody to pitch more than once a week. Uh, and uh, Otani had two bad games. Uh, the, the game against the Red Sox was a disaster, you know, but that. And, yeah. And, uh, and I think Houston was his other bad game. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But he has uh, he's pitched very well, and he what he's hitting three forty. You know, yeah, certainly has power. You you want to see him in the home run derby? <laughs> yeah, you want to see him in the home run derby and start. Well, I mean, yeah. there is a question. Uh, I mean, he's entertaining right now. He's not necessarily a difference maker for the Angels, and Sosha I think would like to see him more of a difference maker. Let me ask you this: Is his profile? Uh, does it overshadow Trout at this moment no. in time? No. 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 Really? No. Who gets more coverage on ESPN? Well, oh, right now, he's getting more coverage. Yeah. If you were to ask people who is the MVP of the American League right now? Yeah, it's Mike Trout. Yeah. Um, the Angels in general, though, has just been a great great story in the, in the uh, first month and a half here because everyone thought the Astros were going to run away with it. And they will. Well, their but, hitting has been inconsistent. Their pitching has been as good as there is in the major leagues. So, I mean, they're starting pitching. They still right. could use a little bit of help uh, in the bullpen, which pff, they'll get. Uh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> it might be Cole Hamels. The the coming one out of the, pit. the one thing you thought about them going in is that they were going to hit, you know, uh, and they just have not collectively hit yet. They will. I don't. I, don't, I think the Astros will end up running away. With it, just like I, I don't have any Cleveland's twenty and twenty. Do you really think they won't win that division? I think they'll win that division, but they may win it with eighty three games. You know, eighty three wins, well, which is kind of crazy because I think, I think I picked them to win near a hundred. <laughs> well, I, I probably had closer to uh, eighty. You were like, yeah, said all yeah. My, but your the, math was more dedicated than mine. Um, the. Uh, yeah, I mean, and the Astros, you're absolutely right. Garrett Cole, oh my God, what a revelation. There's no there's no denying now that the Astros bullpen slider cam or whatever it is that they have, every team is going to have one of those by next oh, year, right? Except I, maybe the A's and the Rays. The uh, Well, and I also am not totally unconvinced that there may be some doctrine of the ball there, you know, uh, to help these spin rates and stuff, which have been claimed by several people, you know. Just uh, in Houston, or are you saying... Oh, no, people outside of Houston. Okay. Uh, sure. They, I mean, they may have come across something. I, you know, I don't know, but it, it's good for baseball right now. Right now, Garrett Cole is certainly your Cy Young of the first quarter part of the season. Yeah, and right there is JV. Yeah. My man JV, looking good. Um, 
couple other things I have and then whatever else you want to add to this. But um, Red Sox and Yankees, uh, would you consider this frustratingly awesome that they're at each other's throat again? Or do you even care? <laughs> uh, well, it's certainly nice being in the other league. Where, uh, right. I mean, we have the Yankees and the Red Sox shoved down our throat by the major networks. I mean, anytime there is a national game, it's got a pretty good chance of uh, one of those two teams playing. And they also have the biggest fan base, you know, and you can't deny that. Uh, I, I used to, as as you know, I, I in the past I've traveled to Europe a bunch, and the only two hats you ever see people in Europe wearing are Red Sox hats and Yankee hats. Never anything else. Uh, I've seen a Dodger hat. Was it on a uh, some a native of the uh, of Europe? No, or was it, was it on an American a, tourist? It was on an Asian tourist. <laughs> okay, well, okay, okay. Uh, I did see enough. it there. Yeah. Okay, but um, I mean, they they have the biggest fan base. It's no, I think it's great that the two of them are going to be the teams that uh, had play in this yes. London series uh, next year. I very mean, excited that, for that. That's very appropriate. Uh, so. And I think it is good for baseball when that rivalry is going on. Do I have much interest in it? No. Uh, the uh, I I don't see their games anywhere near as uh, exciting as I have seen Philly and Brave games this year. What's his name? Uh, Herrera on the Phillies. Uh, is that on, am I? Ode, Odebell oh, Herrera. Yeah, Odebell. Yeah. You know he's what got on base forty two games in a row and everything. Oh, yeah. He often just wanders off of it, but he gets on. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just there a lot of exciting young talent. Both not that the Yankees and Red Sox don't have much, uh, but if you, I mean, everybody, everybody's talking about Mookie Betts, but uh, because he plays on the Red Sox right now. I mean, uh, is he having a better season than Mike Trout? No, 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 he's not. He's I think batting two eighty. Yeah, or he's coming yeah. on actually. Yeah, I think I think he didn't start out as well, but. I, yeah, I, the 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 Yankees in particular, they're they're just as all or nothing as it gets, you know. And Sanchez cannot catch the ball. You he know, cannot catch the. It's. I would I would be terrified. I heard this on a, a podcast, but when Sanchez was in and Chapman came in to pitch the ninth, the home plate umpire is just shaking <laughs> in his boots because he knows that 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 heater's coming right at him. Um, last thing I had. <laughs> to challenge your uh, Garrett Cole for the uh, Cy Young, how about Mr. Paxton up in Seattle? Yeah, I, it's he's been tremendous, but he hadn't been Cole. Uh, he has yeah. a no hitter. You know, uh, I just I, I look at Seattle now with Cano going down. Uh, I mean, it, it, that's they it, cannot catch a break. Yeah, at all. I mean that that's they're he's he's got to be with maybe exception of Paxton. Uh, he's the he's the glue of that team. Yeah. You know, oh, for sure. And he plays 155 games every year, you know, and so. Yeah, he's been incredibly durable. You know, suffice it to say, if the M's were to somehow make that playoff game, Paxton's starting, and it's kind yeah. of <laughs> part of me dies on the inside because I've been such a King Felix fan for so long. Right. But he would not be pitching in that one-game playoff. Uh, by the way, that may be the more interesting thing about the – AL East to me is that one of those two teams is going to have to play in that wild card game, right? Uh, and that's that's such you know, an equalizer. I, I if you look at, I don't think we we both feel like the Indians will eventually win it. 
in that division. In the Central, yeah, yes. absolutely. All right. Uh, neither, nobody else in the Central Division is going to make uh, a wild card spot. Not at all. All right. Uh, in the West, I, I firmly believe that the uh, Astros are eventually going to run away with it. Uh, I mean, the Angels are kind of a nice story, but it's— uh, that the only question is who's going to be the second wild card, and it's going to come out of the West, uh, you know. And the uh, so, uh, and you you got to figure the Rangers are going to lose a hundred games, <laughs> uh, you know. So, uh, so there isn't that much to be determined in the American League right, right. now. And you look at the National League, and you know there may be four teams that are not going to be in it, uh, not going to be in the hunt. Right. And so uh, a lot more excitement here. Yeah. And shout out to Jacko on the Bill Simmons podcast. He did make that point that we're in mid-May and the AL playoff picture is already set. Right. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, it would be tremendously exciting and great for baseball if that wild card game is in Yankee Stadium and Otani is pitching and it's Mike Trout versus... <laughs> Right, right, Aaron Judge. I'm almost rooting for that. Almost, almost. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Well, it's been an exciting start. So, and and happily so. Uh, thankfully, soon basketball will be over, and we won't. We right. won't. PTI won't be bogged down with that garbage. All right. Going first to third. Uh, this is your idea, and I love it, and I'm excited. We're doing the best of the decades. Uh, going back to 1900. Um, we are going to uh, debate who was the best position player and who was the best pitcher uh, that owned the particular decade. Um, you're defining a decade as the aught to the 09. Correct. So 1900 to 1909 as opposed to, uh, you know, rounding up. But uh, what, what was your parameters for this? What I I did it my own way, but what was your mindset with picking All right. the best player the, each decade? The only thing... Uh... To me, there most of them were self-evident. Uh, the pro and I had problems with certain people. I mean, and and I didn't even have to like police it and not let Barry Bonds on. Uh, I'm surprised. Be, I was the same because because I I could look at some people who had just tremendous careers. They did it from like. 95 to 205 or so and they don't their influence over an entire decade is not there and that uh without doing it i think it's probably uh a somewhat of a war accumulation if we're going to use those sort of statistics to look at people that were that good for that significant if what they accumulated during that decade Right. Well, that's how I approached it. I'm looking at the decade in encapsulated. Right. Because the prime example was that the Stan Musial, Stan the Man, you know, the era that his career covers, there is a competition for each decade that he's right. in for right. who owned exactly. that decade. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's... Um, Makes it really interesting. I, now, and in his significant decade, too, we have... The war that is World War Two breaks yeah. it takes a lot of people out of that action. Right, right. All right. Well, without let's jump right in, and I, I assume we're going to go from the 1900s to present day. That would seem to make sense. That would make the most sense. All right, from 1900 to 1909, who is the greatest player of that decade? Honus Wagner. Agreed entirely. Do you have an argument for anyone else? Not really. Uh, may I mean, 
the best players uh, of that decade that maybe Napoleon Lajoie, yeah. Chris Speaker. There were uh, speakers a little bit later. Uh, but McGraw. The, yeah, well, yes. Mag- yeah, no, not so much. McGraw is the 1890s more than, right. uh, you know. But uh, there in the Ken Burns baseball uh, documentary, there is somebody, I believe it's Harry Hooper, who uh, quotes somebody as saying, you know, who is uh, – the best fielder in baseball, you know, who has the best arm in baseball, who hits with the most power in baseball, who has, who's the best base runner in baseball and uh, it, on and on and on. And the answer is always a Honus Wagner. Yep. You know, so. And it is the decade that bears the most expensive, valuable baseball card ever. So there you go. Who is your pitcher? Christy Mathewson. I, I agree. Now, right off the bat, Cy Young <laughs> Who, well, I mean, I can't, I can't put him in any other decade, right? In our, in our competition here, and I feel like I need to choose him for the 1900 to 09 because I could do Matthewson like maybe the following year. No, you can't. Uh, That's true. I mean, and Matthewson, uh, he owned that decade. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is completely his decade, uh, and. From if you a great book, the celebrant uh, has is kind of the story of Christy Mathewson, and it gives a it really encapsulizes that entire decade and uh, gambling and uh, the uh, the entrepreneurism of uh, a, a young America and how Mathewson is right there in the center of it, and, and McGraw and all these other people are, but uh, Mathewson was the first baseball hero that young boys could look up to. And that changes the game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, And on top of that, he was the best pitcher in the game. (laughs) Right. Uh, I was trying to get his, uh, his, his player profile here because I just want to list some of the accomplishments or maybe you already have it. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, in the decade, he had a 104 war (laughs) for a pitcher, which is kind of, Outstanding and incredible. For the decade, he won 236 games. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, for the decade. Uh, and, and his ERA was under two. You know, his whip was 1.03 uh, for the decade. Right. Uh, yeah. He wins the three shutouts in five days in the t- uh, 1905 World Series. Uh, the it is Matthewson's uh, decade at the turn of the century there. Uh, and Cy Young, I just so I can speak his name on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Next decade, we have 1910 to 1919, a very controversial decade. And the best player embodies controversy. Oh, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, absolutely. And again, there to me, there's no question. No, there is no question. He's winning triple crowns. He's, you know... He won the world and all yeah. but one batting title during the decade. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, by the way, today is the anniversary of when he went into the stands at the polo grounds and beat up the person who had lost an, uh, a hand and, uh, the, and three fingers and, uh, the heckler and, uh, the rest of the team goes up there with baseball bats uh, and surrounds him. It is the first strike of Major League Baseball because this is when um, the band Johnson uh, told the Tigers that uh, 
to fine all the players who didn't show up and they all got fined. They were told to go out and get the Tigers to go out and get other players and uh, and fill the team. So they used a bunch of coaches and hired a bunch of people like uh, old retired people that were 42 and whatnot. And they played one game in, uh, against the Philadelphia A's and got beat 24 to two uh, <laughs> and thus ended the strike. And they were this people that think how much Cobb was hated and legendary by his own team. This is really his team really sticking with him a lot because they uh, of the belief that the heckler was in the wrong and as all the fans that he was as well. But it, it is, um, I think sometimes Ty Cobb is misunderstood in a lot of ways, a lot, very philanthropic in a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm not defending the racism or anything else, but there it's a different time. Oh yeah. The, the context of, of, uh, you know, uh, American history, yeah, that goes without saying. It is a, a completely different time, and his upbringing as well uh, dictated all of those character flaws. Right. So, um, with that picture, Walter Johnson. Yeah, Walter Johnson. Uh, shout out to Grover Cleveland Alexander, though. Oh, oh, did yes, have man. a tremendous decade. So did Tris Speaker. So did Shoeless Joe Jackson. There, you know, there were a lot of people uh, in that decade. And if you asked anybody in that decade. Who was the greatest pitcher uh, for a lot of that decade? People would have said Smokey Joe Wood. Nah, Smokey Joe Wood. He was the most intimidating pitcher that time. And f- played for the? For Boston. Okay. Um, you know, Boston had a pitcher. Uh, yes, who was also significant in the decade. <laughs> um, and let this jet go by broadcasting live from Hartsfield-Jackson International. The uh, About the... The uh, the anniversary there for uh, um, for Ty Cobb, something tells me that the uh, Detroit Tigers aren't exactly gonna <laughs> do a pregame ceremony to honor that this evening. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with that said, um, the 1920s. Oh, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Um, Again, no controversy. No, whatsoever. I mean, you you might as well just. Because he's Babe Ruth, he's the best player of every decade that he plays in. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but I mean, and thus from, begins that argument. He's one of the best players in the game in 1919. 1920 through 1929, he's the best player that ever played. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if you look at that, if you take what Rogers Hornsby did in the 20s and it's the greatest decade that anybody's ever had, except for what Babe Ruth did in the twenties. Right, yeah. and it, it it is the uh, in modern times in a different sport. It is uh, MJ in the nineties. Right, what made him the greatest basketball player of all time? Hornsby hit three eighty two for the decade. <laughs> for the decade, you know, uh, you know, he hit four hundred. He averaged over four hundred for five years, and he did it with power. Uh, you know. But, but it was Babe Ruth. <laughs> Babe I mean, Ruth was across <laughs> was across the dugout there. Um, who is your best pitcher for the 1920s? There aren't many, uh, but I think it's got to be Dazzy Vance. Dazzy Vance, absolutely. Uh, his 1924 season, 28 and six, a 216 ERA, 262 strikeouts. Did not realize how many years he led the league in strikeouts and wins in the 20s. When you consider uh, who else that you still had. Grover Cleveland Alexander uh, in that time period and 
I guess Walter Johnson had already retired by that point or moved on to managing. No, so. uh, Johnson play, uh, Johnson's significant on the 25 and 26 right, uh, yeah. senator teams that won the pennant. Yeah. So, but it's really, it's Dazzy Vance's world because in the 20s, and we were all just much. living in it. Yeah. Um, all right. The 30s. All right. Uh, you, uh, we could disagree here. Uh, the Before we leave the 20s, let me say, I, I would have, Tris Speaker would have been one of the top five or six players of both the 20s and the teens. And that's, there aren't many people that would That span in, the decade like that? That would be two decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, you know, one of the the top six or seven players uh, in both decades, and having played completely through them, having played completely through them, or, or having played a significant part of uh, of each decade. See, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I would think Stan Musial '40s and '50s. Oh yeah, uh, well I'm not. Right. Yeah, I, I agree, but I mean this. Tris Speaker, I'm saying sixth or seventh. I'm, I'm going to say Stan Musial will be sixth or seventh in those as well. <laughs> That's true. You do have uh, other slots to fill in that uh, right. that categorization. Uh, in the 30s, uh, I'm going to take Jimmy Fox. Yeah, you know, that's a great argument. Uh, same with Hank Greenberg. I went with Lou Gehrig. I went with the Iron Man. Well, for his consistency throughout, number of MVPs that he won, and the fact that he how good is he at the end of the decade? He's not. <laughs> yeah, he's, right. He's giving more speeches than he's playing baseball games. Oh, so. By the end of the decade, he's pushing daisies. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, I mean, you know what? He plays through 35, you know, 36. Uh, I think 36 is last year. Uh, let, me, let me make sure I get that Get that. Uh, okay. on the mark. Um, no, he plays through to 39, but his last productive year was 37. Yeah. 19, no, 19, 1938, he's uh, an all-star and in the top 20 okay, the MVP. Okay, he, he's so, still 38. He's, okay. Yeah. See, uh, I was on point. Okay. I, I shouldn't said, doubt myself as much no, as I do. No, and he played in 30, and I don't think that Fox did play in 30. Well, uh, yeah, by... by uh, and remember that his 20s were no, were no fluke either. He's the MVP on the 27 Yankees. He won the MVP in twenty seven. Yeah, he won the. He was the. Uh, he was the MVP. One hundred. Uh, let's see. Hit three seventy three. One hundred seventy three runs batted in. Forty seven home runs. I mean, yeah. he won the MVP in okay. nineteen twenty seven. And then uh, you go into the thirties. He finishes in the top five in the MVP for seven years running, and he won it in thirty. Look up Jimmy Fox. Same way. Now, I mean, Jimmy Fox I know and. You know, and 50. Hank Hank Greenberg, but for, Hank Greenberg goes into the forties too. And I, I took a hard look at at, at Mr. Fox. Um, if for no if for no other reason, I feel like the Philadelphia A's need some love from this decade. Oh, well, I give I, them love. I mean, left I have Lefty Grove as a pitcher. Right, I have Lefty Grove as well. Um, Jimmy Fox wins back to back MVPs. 32, 33? 30, Correct, 32, 33. He is uh, an all-star uh, from 33 through the 40s. Um, he finishes in the top 10 of the MVP race for six of seven years, uh, winning it again in 38. So he won three Great. MVPs in the decade. Okay. So I, I, I mean, a solid argument for either one. But I got I, the uh, the iron horse, and when you're winning MVPs on a team that has Babe Ruth, that says something. Okay. Um, 
all do you have an he alternate won how many i'm say that again how many did lou gehrig win total two all right and box one three all right so, so they're, they're right there they're right okay. there it's all one right. and one a and one b did you have any alternate for pitcher uh after lefty grove uh maybe diz just be you know the diz for uh, sure the uh but you know he doesn't he doesn't last that long no but certainly the early part of the 30s uh it's dizzy dean's world yeah he had a great decade but lefty grove was better um great names though yeah, <laughs> yeah. i lament the fact that we don't have names like this in modern the, baseball the last three pitchers have been dazzy lefty and diz <laughs> yeah yeah and uh uh, Jimmy and Ty and Honus. Oh, so. No, Jimmy uh, or Fox, he was double X. He was the beast. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But we you know, have Joey Bats now. He was so big. He used to, or his arms were so big, he would cut his sleeves off so you could see his whole uh, bicep. <laughs> so, so you could have tickets to the gun show. Right, right. Nice. That's awesome. All right. The 40s. The, uh, the asterisk 40s because of the war. Uh, and I have to give it to the two biggest war heroes uh, in Ted Williams and Bob Feller. I do exactly the same. We really don't have much to debate here. Um, if just we lived sh- in New York, we would debate Joe DiMaggio. But right, and uh, um, let me. Uh, who was my other one? And if we lived in St. Louis, we would debate Mutual yeah, for right. the forties. Um, in looking back, I. Did not realize just how good Hal Newhouser was right in but, the forties. But if you look at it too, his great years are the war years. He's not That's o- a good point. he's not overseas. He's winning thirty games for in a dilapidated league. Well, love for the Tigers. The uh, I mean uh, Hal certainly uh, one of the forgotten players in in baseball history but uh you can't compare newhauser to feller in that decade no and by all accounts feller <laughs> feller is the centerpiece of documentaries about throwing a fastball right you know right. he's 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 who even verlander and and thor would be compared to it was like yeah he didn't throw like bob feller though um nobody bred so much as a ball player as bob feller was though how do you how do you how do you say that? His father, who's a, a farmer, you know, builds a baseball field for him. And, you know, it starts <laughs> uh, when he's like five uh, you know, and he throws every day, but does all this farm work to make himself strong. And he's you know, uh, and given such uh, the principles of uh, the flyover land of America. You know, I, I don't know. He's he seems to have been bred to be a ball player. Kind of Roy Hobbs, right? Very much. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I <laughs> just the the you can find it on any number of documentaries, but the the film of him when throwing they're doing the motorcycle, throwing against the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I yeah. wish we would do that. I think they can bring skill challenges like that into the All Star game. Well, yeah, that, that was what minor league baseball used to always have. Those are great things, right? Hey, speaking of minor leagues, you know, Satchel Paige uh, well, I, picked in, pitched in this decade. So. I, I have thought about that. In, uh, we, if I, I would have to make a, a different asterisk on, on a lot of them. For the 30s, if we're going to allow the Negro Leagues to be part of this discussion, uh, there is no doubt to me that 
probably both players are. Uh, Josh Gibson is probably the best player, and Satchel Paige is probably the best pitcher. Right, sure. And certainly he is in the 40s. Yeah. And mm. given that we're, you know, we have to accept the eras in which American history has traveled, we're sticking with Major League Baseball. Right. So, um, Ted Williams, you know, the Triple Crown year in uh, 41, uh, the last player to hit 406. I did not realize he could also be owner of the 50s. But with that said, so many good options for the 1950s. Who did you select? From your wealth right. of riches for the best all right. player. First of, the of all, 50s. from the fifties, I don't think Ted. You can consider Ted Williams because he's also off fighting in Korea during the fifties. <laughs> so, and you know, and he's uh, what his last year's fifty-eight, I think. Um, yeah, and he still and, hit in the three thirty. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, he had such a, his worst year at fifty-seven, and, and decided to play one more year. So, uh, I don't know if that was fifty-eight to fifty-nine or what, uh, but it was right in that era. Uh, but uh, I have Mickey Mantle. As the 50s player, uh, he, I mean, there are going to be people arguing uh, Mays and all sorts of people. But uh, I think Mays, the end of his career is better than Mix, you know. And, oh, for uh, sure. Uh, but Mantle's 56 and 57. These are just incredible years, you know, uh, triple crown wins. And uh, they're in the world. They are... Mickey Mantle is the eye of baseball, you know, the face of baseball at that time. Right. And, you know, honestly, anyone who has seen him on film, but even more so in person, he, to the eye test, was the greatest baseball player ever. (laughs) All all the way around. I mean, you know, the the kind of athlete that he was. Yes, he was. uh, Yes, he was tremendous. I I think he's... uh, reached almost apocryphal status uh in in today's world there are people that just so admire mickey mantle that never even saw him and know nothing about him and yeah uh, i mean there's all this talk about harper wanting to go to new york because his father was a mickey mantle fan uh and harper was all excited when he hit his 14th home run uh his rookie year because that eclipsed what mantle did in his rookie year his, fa- his father didn't see uh, Mickey Mantle play. His father's 50-some years old. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, it's myth-like. It's Billy Crystal's influence. on Not not just, Mickey Mantle's a great player. He, and I'm saying he's the best player of the decade. But, but he has become, to say he's the greatest player ever. Uh, well, there's, you know, there are standing ovations happening at Dodger Stadium anytime Koufax is mentioned, and sure. how many of them saw him pitch. I mean, exactly, I, exactly. It is the myth, the American myth that comes from baseball more than any other sure. sport. Now, with our with our debate here, I gotta say, I, you can make a, uh, a convincing argument for Campanella. Oh, you certainly could. Now, if we're talking about just ownership of a decade. Roy Campanella in the 1950s is exceptional. No, I, I certainly three MVPs. I mean, uh, the uh, I, you certainly can make an argument. There are a lot of people you can make an argument for in the 50s. Uh, you know, and here's a couple of them for you, uh, Yogi. Oh yeah, Yogi, who has won three MVPs, who is uh, what Casey Stingle calls his guy, uh, Al Kaline. Yeah, I mean, my first favorite ball player, but I think. Um, Musial is still to me the number the number two guy of the decade, uh, and then Mays. Now, where do you put Hank Aaron in this in the fifties? Oh, uh, 
not in it. Not in enough it. of the decade right. played. Right. Uh, Even certainly, though he, he certainly had a great decade. Uh, you know, but yeah, he's 50, 51, 52, 53. He's not to be heard from. He's not playing. Doesn't you know? exist. Right. So, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, doesn't have a great 54, you know, but from if I'm going to take the best half, second half of the decade, then Bad Henry's probably there. He's in the conversation, although right. he, he would still lose out to, to Mantle. Um, all right. Now the pitcher. Warren Spahn. Warren Spahn. Uh, with a shout out to Whitey Ford. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Heck of a decade for for the uh, chairman of the board. Warren Spahn won 202 games in the decade. That's true. And, you know, if I'm going to say Whitey Ford, I should say Johnny Sane for the, to complete the riddle. Uh, no, it's, okay. Uh, I see where you're going there. Uh, the other pitcher who probably doesn't get enough credit is Robin Roberts, uh, who... That, I would uh, have to agree because I did not give him any credit. Well, he's, I mean, he was... Uh, the second best pitcher in the National League at that time, without a doubt. But he's just playing for an inferior team most of the time. But he, you know, he took the Phillies there in '50. You know, he, uh, the Whiz kids. Hmm. That's Eddie true. Matthews also has a tremendous. My uh, second favorite right. ball player is in my youth. Right, right, right. Um, before we get before we leave the existence of Ted Williams as a as as a baseball player, not manager. Um, in 1958, he is still in the top 10 in the MVP voting. He has that good of a year in 1958. Right. And then in 59, 1960, he, he falls off. But you're right. He, he misses basically all the 52 and 53 season due to the uh, Korean, Korean War. War. This and is a common... Just a celebrated ace, too. I mean, you know. Yeah. A favorite barstool debate. But if he had his three seasons back in the 40s for military service and the seasons in uh in in the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. Where do you inflate his numbers? Uh I think it's very likely that he would have been the person to break Babe Ruth's home run record. Uh because he was the type of person that was aware of the numbers. Uh, you talk. About, you were saying Roy Hobbs uh, mentioned him earlier uh, in reference to Mantle, but the the quote I, I want to be the best there ever was, the best hitter that there ever was. Uh, that's you. That came from Ted Williams. Sure. So number nine. Right. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. The 1960s. Something tells me I know your answer to the player, Aaron. <laughs> well, then I guess I don't. You, uh, you went with Aaron over Clemente. Yes, I did. Okay. The floor is yours. Why? Because I think Clemente, you're saying Aaron owns that decade above Clemente even. Yes. Easily? No, not easily, but I think it was certainly Aaron's decade. Uh, the uh, Aaron... Only did, one MVP in his entire career, whereas Clemente had the 64. 60- Five season, sixty four, sixty five. He's winning sixty nine. Uh, I still I have Aaron as the best uh, hitter in that decade. Uh, he has three hundred and seventy five home runs. Clemente has one hundred and seventy seven. Uh, and Aaron, uh, granted, uh, Clemente was a better hitter for average. He hit three twenty eight, but Aaron hit three oh eight. Uh, you look at the RBIs, total production, everything else. Aaron's got it. Uh, Clemente is my favorite all-time ball player, but because he was so exciting to watch, and you know, and often he was 
running past the ball in the outfield because he was running too hard or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the and Aaron never did that. Uh, the uh, but just the production and what he did to a lineup and what uh, I think it's Aaron, well, hands down. Well, one thing we haven't talked about much is uh, the glove. For all of these uh, players who own the decade, the position players, a lot of talk of the stick, not much of the glove, and that's where Clemente factors so heavily to me. Is he's a Gold Glove winner every single year? Not every single year, uh, and but I think damn well close to it. Uh, how many Gold Gloves did Aaron win? Uh, let me look that up. But with there's a lot of prejudice in, into that as well. Clemente wins the Gold Glove every single year, starting in 1961. Right. Look, you're you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, the uh, but the choir. But you see, uh, Aaron may have. They they just gave it to three outfielders. Uh, they didn't give it to, like necessarily a right fielder or left fielder. And you look at all star game appearances. Uh, how many is Aaron in? Uh, how many does he start during that decade? All of them. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> but he he only wins three Gold Gloves in his okay, career. Okay, he wins only. three with yeah, only three, and that's with Clemente playing in his position, right? Uh, and Willie Mays as well. And there was uh, a kind of a a thought that Aaron loafed after the ball uh, at times. You know, didn't because he was one of these guys who made things look easy. He didn't. Uh, Clemente certainly was not that way. So I, you know, I I'm. I sound like I'm anti-Clemeni here, but uh, my my favorite image of Clemeni is him charging the wall at Forbes Field and having to like just put on the brakes and he's like spread eagle trying to get a ball that's <laughs> bounced off the thing. It looks great. It's probably not the smartest play in the world. Aaron would have taken the hop, you know. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but it was you know, and I, I love him, but uh, Aaron wins the decade. All right. That, I mean, three hundred seventy-five home runs in a decade. That's that is totally fair, you know. And and again, this is the thing about what, what I worry about with Mike Trout. You know, if Aaron is on, you know, he's like LeBron James in a sense, right? Okay. You know, the consistency of stats and and his workload is just tremendous. He never wins the MVPs. He he's never really even leading the league in home runs, the category right. that he's most famous for, and just year in and year out, all star, first ballot, the 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 whole thing. If you take Hank Aaron and put him on the Cardinals in that decade, you know how many MVPs is he winning now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so. That's always an argument, always an argument with the New York and Boston and crew. I think uh, Frank Robinson gets overlooked in that decade. Frank Robinson has a tremendous 1960s, wins a triple crown, uh, as does Yaz. Uh, Yaz is not as consistent. He's, uh, he's more the second half of the decade. But Frank Robinson uh, you know, wins a couple of MVPs on different teams in different leagues. Uh, yeah. The, uh, but but we were one glad thing, was, one thing for certain. We were one, glad Aaron was here. And, yeah. Oh, absolutely. One thing is, is certain about the 1960s, if you look at the amount of great players that were bred or born into the Negro Leagues, and this is, this is the 60s is the first real uh, integration of Major League Baseball. There are, the best, there are two or three players that are African-American on every team in the 50s, Pumpsy Green being the last one on the Red Sox. Uh, but they they had to play. There weren't. If you were an African American, you had to start. And by the '60s, they're everywhere. 
And you look, I mean, let me see who uh, Gibson, uh, Frank Robinson, Saint Willie Mays, Marischal Clemente. Lou Brock. Uh, yeah, he's starting in the '60s. Uh, I think of him more as the '70s. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, Ernie Banks. I mean, it goes on. Uh, I mean, and these were the top players in the game. There was a Mantle and there was a Koufax, and but uh, it is the African American, or uh, at least the person of colors, decade. Yeah, there you go. Um, now the pitching side of the 1960s is this even? How quickly can we move on from that? <laughs> well, uh, to me, it's Koufax. Uh, but the, but he doesn't pitch the whole decade. Correct, and uh, uh, Gibson does. That's absolutely correct. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not cut and dry. But Gibson's early years are not that great in, in comparison. I mean, in uh, what Koufax does from sixty through sixty six is just incredible. It's the you know I mean it, uh, it's right there with Christy Mathewson type stuff. Oh yeah, his five years are seemingly worth twenty of any right. other like. Right. And you he know. pitched about that many innings too. <laughs> That's true. But Bob Gibson, I mean, it, you know, you you grew up in this era, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. The who were hitters more terrified of? Uh, oh, well, Gibson Kofa- or Koufax? Uh, oh, Gibson. Yeah, but. I, Obviously, he's more intimidating just as a person. Because but. he threw it at people's heads, uh, <laughs> you know, and Koufax was such a gentleman. He would never do that, you know. Uh, but it was the same sort of thing. Uh, Ty Cobb said once that it was easy to hit Walter Johnson because Johnson was so afraid of hitting anybody because he threw, so hard, threw too hard. And so Cobb would get, crowd the plate and just uh, take the outside pitch and line it into the outfield. Uh, much what... But was Walter Johnson the best pitcher of that decade? Yeah, he was. Because uh, so, Ty Cobb was the best hitter of that yeah, decade. I mean, and Koufax uh, was, he, I mean, uh, who was winning the Cy Youngs, you know, in when Koufax was pitching? And that's with Marischal and all sorts of great pitchers. Drysdale even yeah, on right, his own right, team. Right. Yeah, it, but it's, it's kind of incredible that, it would be a toss-up even still when you're talking about the decade because right. uh, I, Gibson I, he easily owns the second half because there's no Koufax to compete right. with. So there were, but there were Fergie Jenkins and Jim Maloney's. There were other you know really good pitchers. Sure, um, but they ain't Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving right along. The 19. 19- well, before we leave the the 60s, I, I do want to uh, say that Willie Mays was a was a uh, you know between Clemente, Aaron, and Mays, hell of an outfield. Oh yeah. yeah, put Frank Robinson in that outfield too. Yeah, yeah, need that fourth outfielder because yeah. he's worthy, worthy to be sure. All right, the nineteen seventies. Uh-huh. I mean, give me. A, I had kind of a uh, an off base answer for for best player, but uh, my uh, to me it's Johnny Bench. I put the big red machine. All right, uh, just as if, the collective player. If I was going to say who is the second best player, would be Joe Morgan. If I was to say who is the third best player, would be Pete Rose. Right. So I I, uh, I agree with you in that regard. Yeah, I think it's you got to give props to the to Cincinnati and the big red machine in the seventies. I'm, I'm Johnny Bench, but the, maybe the two best years I've ever seen anybody have was uh, Joe Morgan. No, I take that back. Uh, Yaz's triple crown year was the best year I ever saw anybody have. But um, what Joe Morgan did in the middle 70s was just 
unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as aggravating as it was to listen to him commentate ball games on national TV for so long, he earned it. <laughs> he knew what he was talking about. Who would about. you rather hear do a ball game, Joe Morgan or Pete Rose? Oh, man. <laughs> Pete Rose, because of the wild card factor of okay. Pete Rose. Okay. Yeah. I'd rather hear Johnny Bench and all three of them. Yeah. There, well, there you go. That's well said. Um, Props, though, to uh, the straw that stirs the drink, Mr. Uh, Reggie Jackson. Hell of a decade. You could say he owned it considering... Press-wise. Uh, Press-wise, but five titles between three with the A's, two with the Yankees. Um, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, and then you also have Lou Brock. You you can give, you know, put him on the podium, let's say. I'll put Rod Carew way above Lou Brock for that decade. And you could also do Brooks Robinson. You could do... Brooks Robinson, uh, I really liked as a ball player, but what? He's a 270 hitter. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it, it was a great defensive player. There you go. Uh, See, again, we got to give some love to the glove. Rod Crew hit 343 for the decade. Well, that's... There you and go. one batting crown after batting crown. Lou Brock, base stealer. We haven't talked much, uh, you know, after leaving the 19-teens. Rod Crew, base stealer. Fair enough. Stealing home 19 times. <laughs> and yet, Big Red Machine still yeah, wins the yeah, game. Yeah, whatever. We we're just talking about a decade. Yeah. And now the pitcher. Your pitcher of the 70s. Tom Terrific. Tom Terrific. Uh, Tom Seaver was the first baseball glove I ever owned. It was his Rawlings model. So I think he's still the only New York Met Hall of Famer. Mike Piazza. Did he go in as a Met? Yeah. Sure, he didn't go in as a Dodger. Eh, I, he would not have gone in as a Dodger. He would have gone in as a Met, but he may have gone in as a blank hat. Yeah, he might might have. So. Uh, the uh, and I know Nolan Ryan was bred, you know, but he's you don't think of him as a Met. No, you don't. I mean, Tom Seaver is Mister Met. Yeah, through and through. Um, however, uh, what are your thoughts on Steve Carlton, nineteen seventies pitcher extraordinaire? Uh. Best season ever by a uh, probably a pitcher ever won a quarter of his games, a quarter of his team's wins. Uh, <laughs> only 27, I think, team won 29. Uh, the uh, I there's a little more than that, yeah, but sure, you, you've got to give Jim Palmer uh, a credit for the yeah. decade, Gaylord Perry. There were several good pitchers in the 70s, uh, as there is every day, decade, but I, you know, I, I think Tom Seaver. Was the man. He's a cut above, and, and that 73 team in particular is like all him. I mean, 69, 69. And, and 73. And he's part of the Big Red Machine, too. Uh, there, there you go. And what, at what point in his career, though? Oh, he, not at the down downward point. That's but, not the, the Big Red Machine is over in 1976. I know, but he's. So. Well, no, no, they, that's to say they weren't there in 72. Well, no, no, but he's Seaver's still on the Mets through. Let's look this up. When is he traded? Because uh, I, I was thinking it was like, I know he goes to White Sox later, and you know, he's on. He's not on the Reds until 1977. Okay, so, well, say, but he, but he, the Big Red Machine and its aura is no longer winning. Seventy-seven. They where were they in seventy-six? Well, in 76, they're winning the World Series, but okay, Tom so, Seaver is on the Mets at that all point. All right, so you're saying in one year, the big red machine is gone? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying <laughs> you can't count him into the big red machine because so the big they weren't red winning machine titles anymore. didn't exist in 77. All, right, all of a sudden. 
Although I, I since I have the uh, the data the spreadsheet up right now, um, he uh, he wins. He goes fourteen and two in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, uh, an interesting situation with this. Uh, look at his last year. He plays with the White Sox, and look who else is on that team. In 1985 yeah. or 86? Or I think in 86. In 86, he plays with the White Sox and with the Red Sox. Okay. With the White Sox, uh, Steve Carlton is also on that team. Oh. Both of them. <laughs> the traveling, <laughs> uh, the retiring all-stars there right. on the 85 White Sox, um, who were actually pretty good. All right, fine. Tom Seaver is part of the Big Red Machine, although it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> He's a Met, and let's just... Oh, yes, he is Mr. Known. Met. I, you know, I, I don't... You know. Yeah. But he... Shoot. 77, 78, 79, that's part of the decade. He's in Cincinnati. That's true. And they're productive years, to say the least. He's he's yes. factoring into the MVP and the Cy Young uh, in, those, in those latter years. So, um, all right. Moving right along to the 1980s, the cocaine-fueled 1980s. Who is the best hitter of the decade oh well all right now i think the best hitter of the decade was mike schmidt okay best player overall best player of the decade was ricky henderson man i really wanted to give it to ricky i may still but i landed on george brett okay brett uh my problem with brett is the brett versus ricky is very similar to kershaw versus Mad Max right now. Yeah. Uh, Brett spent a lot of time on the DL. When he played, he was the best player in the game. Yeah. Defensively, offensively, he you, you used LeBron as a uh, reference earlier. Uh, Brett was more of a LeBron. He, he made the Royals win. The Royals come anywhere close, you know, uh, without him. And it was a, a very good decade for the Royals. But when Brett was down, the team was down. Uh, Ricky played all the time. Yeah. <laughs> he was the greatest that ever was. <laughs> yes. And uh, Ricky also changed the game, too. I mean, it made it a speed game uh, for the first time since the 40s. And who led the league in stolen bases last year? Who led Major League Baseball in stolen bases last year? Uh, was it D. Gordon? I think it was. Do you have any? Or maybe it was Hamilton in uh, oh, Cincinnati. Yeah, but he just doesn't get on enough. Uh, How I, many uh, stolen bases do you think he had? 54. Yeah, maybe. That sounds about right. Ricky'd have that by the All-Star break. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. He's stealing 130, 140 bags a year. And, but just as you knew, that's what you know Ricky Henderson for. Uh, just as you think of Hank Aaron for home runs, uh, Hank Aaron was a doubles machine, an extra base hitting machine until he came to uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Uh, and Ricky Henderson hit over 300 every year leading off and w- had a tremendous on-base percentage, walked like nobody you've ever seen, uh, and hit with power, hit 20 home runs or so from the leadoff spot. R- R- and Ricky was always somewhat preoccupied in the outfield, but, you know, he was fast. <laughs> yeah, he was. I'll tell you this. I think he still has the record for most uh, leadoff home runs for a game. I, th- I think a he game. may. I think he may. Yeah. Now, of course, we're batting Ozzie Albies now yeah, first, uh, and, and, you know, Aaron Judge is in the two-hole. Might as well. Right. Yeah. 
but th- that's still an incredible statistic. The amount of runs scored, uh, the, and you're right with Hank Aaron. You know, it was uh, he was the uh, he's the all time RBI king. Yeah, right, which, right. Which gets lost in the shuffle, uh, somewhat lost in the shuffle. So yeah, Ricky, it's a great. That's a great argument, and he's the greatest of all time. So I should <laughs> probably give him the. De- I should concede the decade to him. Um, George Brett, you know, I saw most of his as this week in baseball type highlights and you know, uh, retrospective shows and stuff like that. But um, he was just he was he was Johnny Ball player to me. You know, he he kind of was the embodiment of. of oh, I, I agree. You know, I agree. From, he he from certainly top to bottom. Uh, I think he was the face of baseball at that time. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I uh, because Schmidt's playing in Philadelphia. Schmidt doesn't right. hit with the average, but he hit over a hundred more home runs than Brett. Well, and, uh, and played a lot more. Uh, I I don't I don't know what the at bats are for the. Uh, you know how many times they were actually at the plate for the decade, but that's what where you're going to see the falling off of Brett, right? And and you know Michael Jack Schmidt is a great option as well. Love for the for the third base, yeah, in the '80s. Um, now, <laughs> who is your best pitcher of the '80s? Oh gosh, and that's tough. Uh, it it both of my answers. It pains me to say it, but um. What I'm going to give it, I mean, I think Nolan Ryan was certainly the most visible and what most people would say was the greatest pitcher of the 80s. But I'm going to say Dennis Eckersley uh, because that changed the game. Yeah, and and we get a reliever in there in, right. a, in a certain uh, sense. He, I mean, he's not the best pitcher of that decade because, you know, early on, uh, first half of that decade, he's a – number four starter bouncing around between Cleveland and Boston. And he's, uh, or he's a number three starter. He's a good pitcher, but, right. uh, but when he becomes, uh, he makes the closer, not the relief pitcher. You know, we'd had relief pitchers like Suter, uh, and, uh, Lee Smith, you know, people like that, a, uh, a decade earlier. But when we have this closer established, that changes the game. Yeah. And, you know, there's one other moment where I have a a, a a reliever closer is owning a decade. But I will say this. I know you think of him as just a flash in the pan, but Doc Gooden, to me, and the sample size is too small and his personal demons railroaded his career. But I, it's hard. It's hard to think he wasn't just the greatest pitcher of uh, he, he if he had if he could have overcome personal demons he runs away with it i mean you look at like his 80 83 through 86 87 sure i i agree if, but he didn't if jr richard doesn't die he's the greatest pitcher that ever lived right you know so now more head scratchingly show so i'm surprised you didn't say clemens in the 80s yeah no rookie of the year two cy youngs uh, i think he gets a third one in in 1990 he's Pitching in big games. I mean, he's he's the rocket. Uh, and certainly an argument, but I can't. Not one of my favorite players, nor is Nolan Ryan. But I, I <laughs> you know, I can't think of anybody that was more dominating than Nolan Ryan in the eighties. Yeah, and giving it to Eckersley all the same because of how he changed the game. Right. Now, uh, I think the other person after Nolan Ryan as a starter to me would be Jack Morris. Yeah, and see, that's a great 
that's a great argument. I, I took a long look at Jack Morris and his Hall of Fame career. So, I'll tell you somebody else in that decade, David Steeb, who nobody ever considers. Uh, but it was like every game, it, there were no hits through six innings. You know, it was you just waited for it. Yeah, underappreciated member of you know it's Toronto Blue Jays team that's not really right. on the map like they are. They can be in this day and age. Um, you know, we have the birth of ESPN's. 24-7 baseball coverage in the 80s. So, um, you know, S- Steve was just a little late to that to that disco. Right. Um, all right. And now, the 1990s. I have no question. I, I have mean, no questions either. You go, you go Junior ahead. Junior is the best hitter and Mad Dog's best pitcher. That Absolutely with Mad Dog. Now, Junior versus Bonds in this decade. You look at how Bonds owned the decade. Are you kicking them out because of the, the steroids? No, I think because... This is all, I mean, most of this is juniors in Seattle, where he's by far the best player in the game. Uh, he was a better defensive player. You've said that before. Yeah. Uh, the average is the same. They both hit 302 for the decade. Uh, how many home runs did uh, Bonds hit for the decade? Let me see. Uh, he hit 361. Uh, Griffey hit 382. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not until Bond starts putting, you know, yeah. deer antler <laughs> compound on his knees that he becomes the home run king. Yeah. I mean, it's not until you know, his hat size grows. And uh, so, I mean, of the 90s, though, they belong to Griffey. Yeah. Well, and the pitching side, it, it, it seems crazy to think that, you know, Randy Johnson or Pedro are not going to be able to own a decade, but too bad, so sad, Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah, right. so Mad Dog was on the scene. Right. Uh, 94, 95, about as good a season as any pitcher's had. I right. mean, that's like Gibson 68 and uh, Carlton's 76, was it, or something? Uh, right, but Pedro's yeah. 99, 2000. Oh, oh absolutely, yeah. but that's over two years. Uh, Pedro is one of these people like Musial who spans two decades. You know, his, uh, his glory days do. Uh, I think the, I mean, here's where Clemens gets for See, I think Clemens was the next best pitcher of the 90s. Of the 90s, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the two years in Toronto and yeah. coming on with the Yankees, for sure. And, and again, that's like the, <laughs> the horse semen. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something on a beer can. I, I, I tried to block all that out, but at any rate. All right. So, no arguments there. Um, any honorable By the mentions? Way, over, well, I'm going to say Frank Thomas. Yeah, I was going to say I would, yeah, I'd, big put, hurt. I'd put the big hurt before I would put Bonds in that decade. Yeah. Right. I'd put him between Griffey and Bonds. Yeah. Very. Yeah. And, and, and you feel better about yourself when you do that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I have no problem putting Junior as best player in the decade. No, but I, I, it, it's, it's uh, a, a, a sincere hatred of self that I would say Wait. Bonds is the best player. Who, who did you have as your best pitcher in the 80s? In the '80s, I had Clemens. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the the the, the Eckersley argument though is really good. I, if I had it to do over again, I, I might change it. But see, I would take uh, Nolan Ryan over Clemens. To Clemens wanted right. to be Nolan Ryan, you know. Uh, right. I, for, this is when Nolan Ryan's throwing all his no hitters and everything. Yeah, and you know Ryan underappreciated his consistency. He was not on the DL that much. Right. Guy and he's, he's throwing and he's, as hard as he is and pitching in Texas and California yeah. and all these things. Whereas Clemens is in the spotlight. Where does he play? You know, uh, New yeah. York and Boston. So right in Toronto for a minute. Well, yeah. 
but in the 80s yeah all boston and that was outshining uh you know houston and right. <laughs> and uh, dallas there um all right the 2000s curious as to your answer for best player in uh in uh, the the decade of the aughts well here's where bonds gets hurt again you know i mean uh but i think it's pool holes I think it's Pujols as well, uh, with an honorable mention to uh, Ichiro. I think the, oh. the Ichiro overall is a very compelling argument for that decade, even if you were to, to remove the, uh, the the steroid abusers. So no A-Rod, no Bonds. You could you could say Ichiro over Pujols. Uh, I definitely think you could. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's an argument there. I think there's an argument for the captain uh, being <laughs> up there. Uh, the uh, pool wholesale, what he does in the first part of his career, this is Lou Gehrig type stuff. You know, I mean, the numbers oh, yeah. that he puts up uh, for that decade, what he had 366 home runs uh, and he hit 334. Uh, 334. That's higher than what Ichiro hit for the decade with 333. So, yeah. I mean, and, and Ichiro isn't, you know, how many home runs did Ichiro have? Uh, 84. Uh, you know, almost 300 less uh i'm not taking anything i love ichiro uh one of my all-time favorite players but this what pool did in st louis was just ungodly yeah and he was solid as a as a defensive first baseman as well right you know ichiro i of course was a gold glove gold uh, glover and yeah. he had a cannon for an arm but that's no it's not that pool was any slouch and by every metric that was happening pool was going to uh, have 800 home runs. Yeah. You know, uh, he was uh, that his first eight years, I think are, are right there. I mean, I think they're right behind Hornsby, I think as like the best first eight years of any. He's getting compared to Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he's compared to, but Babe Ruth has that kind of funny beginning. Right. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah. Pulos was right out of the, right out of the box. I think his 2001 year where he won, Rookie of the year, he also finished maybe in the top three in the MVP. Right. I think he lost it to Bonds because Bonds hit 73 home runs while on deer yeah. antler semen. Right. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit that out. Try to be <laughs> try to be kid-friendly. All right, who's your best pitcher of the 2000s? Much tougher argument here. It is. Uh, and Tough decision to since make. Since you said you had an, a reliever as the top picture of a uh decade then it's probably you probably have uh rivera uh, i do but i'm gonna go with randy johnson yeah randy i mean he's he's sadly not on a competitive team after 2003 but i mean he's throwing a perfect game in 2004 i was there yeah i saw that at turner field r.i.p um but his 2000 through 2005 is just it's unmatched. It's I think incredible. Roy, I think Roy Halladay has to be in the argument. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, um, the uh, Johan Santana, but uh, I, 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 I have in parentheses. I have Randy Johnson, but maybe Rivera, depending on the day that I'm making this decision. Yeah, well, Rivera is the greatest closer of all time, right? So you kind of, uh, I mean, it, it, oddly, not as much postseason success in the in the aughts as he did in the late right, '90s. Right. You know, one of the most famous blown World Series <laughs> games yeah. of all time. Um, what about Tim Lincecum? Is he that decade? Is he? He is. Two, He's back to back Cy Youngs. Well, yeah, I know. In uh, the 2000s. The uh, he's a real 
flash in the pan kind of guy. I, I don't mean flash in a pan. That's the wrong thing. But, you know, his just doesn't last that long. Flash in a bong kind of a thing. Yeah, well, he's he's <laughs> your dizzy dean. You know, he's got like, you know, four good years. or. But they're all in one decade. So he could own the really, decade. I, th- I thought he went in. Yeah, but. You go compare him to Randy Johnson, you know, or Rivera. You know. Randy Johnson spans two decades. His mm. his dominance. Oh, he does. His dominance Boy, starts they, in the early nineties. Johan Santana. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sure. Um, and finally, we've climbed all the way to the present decade. This is maybe the easiest one, but you go go right ahead. Well, I don't think we have any doubt that Trout is the player. Yeah, he's gonna uh, own next decade too. <laughs> yeah, he very well could. Uh, he's having what Pujols did in the 2000s. Trout is doing in this decade. Uh, the uh, at, for the pitcher, Kershaw has been the best pitcher in baseball this decade. Period. Now, uh, you know my argument uh, that Scherzer is making his contract because he pitches more innings and he's there more often. Uh, it may have something to do with the way Washington uses their pitchers and protects them more. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but they're uh, at, at this uh, taping of this uh, right now, the uh, Kershaw's on the DL again. And, and Mad Max is having his best start to any season of his career. Right. So, uh, I mean, but Kershaw has been the best pitcher of the decade so far. So far. Got a couple of years left. And right. this is where I give – JV 35 some love as well okay so and I know that really it starts for him in 2006 2009 maybe is when he's like starts that consistent run of success but um well you know something about Verlander uh, real quick is that I mean his 2009 through 2013 is just ungodly it's uh, that 2011 season he's winning Cy Young and MVP which Kershaw later does in in the decade but hitting 100 miles an hour in the eighth inning he is I think one of those players that uh like we mentioned at the beginning of this the ones that kind of go from one decade to the next uh kind of lose out in this argument uh and then also by who they're going up against uh I mean uh, Rogers Hornsby, as we said, if you take his wars, anything, his stats, anything you want, has the greatest decade of all time of anybody except for Babe Ruth uh, in the same decade. Uh, <laughs> True fact. And uh, JV's going up against Kershaw, who has been has had a Maddox type decade. Right, and not just that anymore. He's going up against Scherzer, You're right, who's been right. having a Maddox type decade since 2013, right. 2012, 2013. Right. So. Now it's it'll be interesting to see how this uh, this decade plays out. But one thing that is unquestioned is Mike Trout. Mike right. Trout may very well be the greatest player of the twenty of uh, the of the next decade. And then at what point? What is he? What will he have to do to be the greatest player of all time? Or is that something that you can't debate in baseball because Babe Ruth was bigger than baseball? Well, and you can't. There may have been better players than Babe Ruth at everything, uh, but. Uh, Babe Ruth makes the game, makes the American sports scene. He is, you know, Babe Ruth is so much bigger than anything else. Uh, he was the American king. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, you can't be better than him, uh, at least. Uh, and you 
but you can't compare decades either. Babe Ruth never played a Major League Baseball game against a person of color. Uh, you know, the game uh, is not truly the all-American game until today when we have people from all sorts, countries from all over the world. And, uh, you know, it's, um, but so I don't think, I, I just don't think you can compare them. I think that's why perhaps this argument for decades is significant. Uh, Honus Wagner was the best player in baseball for a long time. So was Ty Cobb. You know, uh, so was Babe Ruth. So, I mean, you know, and they owned particular decades. Um, and I, I think this kind of argument is what makes, or is one of the things that makes uh, baseball so appealing off the field. Yeah, well, when you can, when you can agree that Roberto Clemente is one of the greatest players of all time, but wasn't ever the greatest player in his own decade, you right. know, it's like, wow, how does that even happen? So. Right. Well, all right. Well, there you have it. And we'll, you know, of course, all this is going to be moot when Otani becomes the greatest player of all time as pitcher and hitter. So correct. Uh, coming into home, just real quick, big decision out of Washington involving sports betting. Now gambling is legal everywhere or something like that. Uh, well, it's going to take a while. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and states have to are now allowed to uh, control their own fate as such as it is. Uh, I think what uh, and this was really the way that uh, this thing that the Supreme Court voted against uh, the way it was written has allowed this to happen. But what we're going to see in the next few years is television habits tremendously changing. When you can sit with your phone in your hand and bet on whether Otani is going to get a hit off of Mad Max uh, instantly and get returns instantly, it's going to change the way you watch the game. And people are going to start watching more split-screen televisions. People are going to be going into betting parlors and watching this sort of stuff, just like they do in Europe. It will become a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar. Uh, the money that will go into sports betting will be more than the gross national product of just about every country on earth. Yeah, and is the government going to take a big chunk of that? The government will take some, yes. But uh, what, and everybody's going to be scrambling, and it's going to be chaos for a while. You know, there are no, there's no legislation over this. Certainly, uh, I think uh, what Mark Cuban said that uh, something to this effect last night that, you know, the, the four major teams have all, their their complexion has all just changed tremendously, you know. Right. The value uh, of a franchise is now double what it right. was 24 hours ago. Right. Uh, and that's because they're going to be making a lot more money on it. Players are going to be making a lot more money on it. We are going to see advertising on baseball uniforms now. Uh, we are going, I mean, this is going to change. It is a big time game changer. Right. So what are, what are the biggest dangers that we should worry about? The dangers of, uh, gambling is, uh, well, there, there are several. There, as far as the integrity of the game itself goes, oh, how, okay. how do because we talked about, I mean, three years ago we did a podcast because of, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel. Right. That was like the toothpaste is now out of the tube. But integrity-wise for the game, how what what's your biggest concern that, that the fix is not in? Uh, wait a minute. Well, I that mean, was what, a double negative. That was what a double my, negative. What is your biggest concern about uh, the integrity of the game? My, not much. 
the, the people that would be affected, that could possibly be affected right now would be umpires. That, uh, I don't see players just make way too much money. What, what's Your, your uh, minimum salary is over a half million now um, for being the last person on, on the bench. But uh, minor leaguers don't make a living wage, which is correct. another big political topic. Correct, correct. So what's to say a but, minor leaguer doesn't come up in September and start throwing games or... That would negatively affect it. It would, have, it would be somebody in that position, but they they're getting paid a major league wage when they are up. Uh, they don't necessarily make that minimum. They're getting paid what that would be prorated. Um, and there aren't a whole lot of minor leaguers who don't think they're going to stick. You know, when they come up, uh, they would certainly and being. I don't see it happening on that kind of stage. I think the dangers of it are so much more in amateur sports. Now, I yes. mean, when you look at uh, the amount of money that is spent on college football in this country and uh, how much do they get paid uh, uh, on top of the table, you know, uh, the same thing, <laughs> uh, the same thing's true with March Madness and all this sort of stuff. Amateur sports are really in danger. I think policing, I mean, and we also know, you know, how effective the NCAA, in, in yeah, NCAA. NCAA is. Well, I think that with with college, they're just they really now are their hand is going to be forced. The NCAA will will have to rip up the whole model. They'll have to consider these players employees of the school now and and figure out a way where right. you know just just I mean it's absurd to say the least. It's been absurd for the last twenty five years about you know how much money players are making for their colleges in the cable sports era. Um, and they'll be making a lot more now with this, right. uh, this gambling thing. So uh, I, I think this, um, this Supreme Court decision is just tremendous. It's going to create all kinds of chaos. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, well, you're right about that. the way it changes the game. I mean, you just look at how football players watch football with fantasy always going. You know, right. and, and, and the networks have embraced it. They have the fantasy tracker going, right. you know, live and in-game. Um, I'll give you an impending danger that would worry me. <laughs> Let's say a, 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 a sports fan who, uh, for lack of a better term, is crazy, is sitting in the stands and is betting on a baseball game and betting live that a player is going to do a certain thing. And let's say this person maybe put a little too much on it and that player fails him. What's to stop crazy fan from jumping the rail and going and taking out his frustration on said player? We could have a uh, Enrico Palazzo naked gun problem going on here. And we've also had this kind of problem happen in Europe at different soccer or football games where fans have run on after somebody. And you can bet on uh, when Real Madrid plays Liverpool next week, you can make a bet that on a corner kick that so-and-so will get a head, will get a header into the goal. Right. Uh, I mean, and so you're right. Uh, I think the, the bigger, biggest problem of all of this are the dangers of gambling, just pure and simple. Uh, oh, yeah. And destroying lives uh, to not the participant, or I mean the actual gamblers, not the game participants. Well, I mean, I think maybe the one the one positive caveat to that is since most of this betting is going to be done in a phone and, and on apps that will more than likely have partnerships with the professional leagues, 
you can you would have to put a cap on what certain people are allowed to bet. I mean, that seems like the easy the easy answer. Cuz like even at casinos now, you you cannot play more than x amount. Like you can't withdraw more than you know, let's say it's $5,000 within a certain period, you know, you have to load your amount to a card. I, I understand that, but you could have uh you know, my next door neighbor who is struggling to, uh, you know, make a living and uh, is making 60000 a year with a wife and two kids and, uh, you know, living almost paycheck to paycheck. He starts betting $25 a night, you know, he's going to and that, that becomes $100 a night and he starts losing that. Uh, like, you know, the, the dangers of gambling are as much as drugs and all sorts of things. I, you know, I'm, I'm for this whole deal, you know, (laughs) that said, bring it on. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that is the biggest dangers are the people that are going to be gambling, not, not the people who are making the money. Uh, the networks aren't really going to be in danger from this. Uh, the players are not going to be damaged by this. Uh, the owners are not going to be damaged by this. No, they're all going to benefit the game. You know, the games are not going to be, uh, it's going to be, than people that gamble. Well, <laughs> that's why it's called gambling. Right. And, you know, we have an economy that's based on gambling. So I guess right. this is the perfect synergy of all things. But yeah, you're right about the the way we watch the the ratings are going to go through the roof. Right. So I'll tell you somebody that might hurt from this is programmable network television, uh, dramas and comedies and things like that. There'll be more sports shows I mean, oh it's already network it's already happened on fox oh, fox I, I, buying I, the yeah and uh they're going to be less and i mean just like ford isn't making you know regular the mustang's the only regular car they're gonna make nothing but uh trucks and suvs and the mustang uh yeah. well the ford f-150 doesn't just raise the bar <laughs> it is the bar <laughs> but uh and things have changed so television is likely to change from this yeah, I mean, if you, if you're a writer in Hollywood right now, trying to you know you're you don't like this bad. No, but I mean, most most good television now is all on streaming or HBO. So right. there's there's a, for every for every action the uh, reaction. I mean, there are so many avenues to get a show made. It's like it's kind of crazy. Well, all right. Well, it's good to be back. Let's not let's not wait till the next family reunion. <laughs> to do this one so um a thank you as always to everyone who follows running the bases uh listens to running the bases podcast on soundcloud or on itunes uh be sure to follow us on uh instagram at running the bases and on twitter at running the base uh like us on facebook we would love to get more comments and feedback even if you absolutely hate everything that we've said that would be great to know (laughs) so that we can make changes moving forward but um, a, a special shout out as always to David Wayngarten, who has provided the lovely intro and outro music. Uh, his album, uh, The Truth Is I Don't Know, is available on iTunes. So for Coach Jordan Bounds, I am Tucker Wells. This is the Running the Basis podcast. We're coming into home and we're safe. Coach, good night and go Braves. Go Braves. Go Braves.